0: godly lessons from Job again a happy Father's Day to all the dads and to all those who provide a godly example a good example of a godly father to all in looking throughout the scriptures there are many places and people I could turn to examples of godly fathers from the Bible and many come to mind Abraham isaac jacob we look to the new testament the dad and the story of the prodigal son and the uh dad that we know only as as jairus's uh as jairus and we have the story of his daughter being healed none of these men were without flaws each of them while providing just being themselves and providing examples of things and models to follow, also provided examples of things we should not follow. So as we look to dads today, we're not looking to perfect people. But today I want to take a look at an example of godliness within the realm of being a dad, and I think it will apply to all of us. So I want to take a look at Job. Job chapter 1, I begin reading in verse number 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil and se- he, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him also his possession were 7000 sheep 3000 camels 500 yoke of oxen 500 female donkeys and a very large household so that his men so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. I'd like to look at four examples from the life of Job just from these opening scriptures that I think we can all learn from. First of all, the first example is it says Job was blameless. Makes you hate Job. Because immediately the description when we think of the word blameless, we think of perfection and being without fault or flaws. So let's make it clear. That's not who Job was. And we get to find that out from the next 40 or so chapters of the book of Job. Everyone has flaws. Jesus was the only perfect person to walk the face of this earth. Amen. Being complete and upright is an accurate translation of the Hebrew there. And being uh, blameless or being upright, and complete is not just about what is achieved. And that's where we can learn from today. It's also about what is pursued. Following God begins faithfully with wanting to follow God faithfully. Wanting to follow God starts with embracing and knowing that his ways are best. Wanting to follow God starts with embracing that any other way of life, any other belief system, any other set of principles for life is a downgrade from following God according to his word. Wanting to follow God starts with rejecting the idea that all ways are valid. We hear this all the time. Well, you follow your way, I'll follow mine because we're all going to the same place. No. (laughs) All that matters for many people is whatever works for you. No. All that matters is whatever works for God. That's what matters. Job achieved this status of being blameless or complete and upright because being right before God mattered to him. So my first question is, does it matter to us? Is this a desire of our hearts? Is this something we want to pursue? Does it matter to us? Psalm 1 begins with, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf is also shall not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. But for me, the central part of that opening three verses of Psalm 1 is the second verse where it says his delight is in the law of the Lord. That word for delight in Hebrew literally means takes pleasure in, finds beauty in, embraces and sees joy in. And it also implies a longing. I'm not just following the Lord. I'm not just following His Word because I believe it makes sense. I'm not just following His Word because I believe it's the best way of living out there. Those are all true statements. But I want to because I find delight in it. It brings joy, it brings peace. Any other belief system brings problems. But following the Word of God, following His Word brings joy. I find delight in the law of the Lord. So the first thing we can learn is that Job was complete or blameless. Then it says Job was upright. We could use more of this today. Job had a clear and unyielding moral center. He knew right from wrong. Wouldn't it be great if more people knew right from wrong? Not only did he know right from wrong, he knew right from wrong existed. So many people will say, well, that's wrong in your eyes. or that's right to me. Because after all, right and wrong are relative. I don't know about your relatives or mine, but... When it comes to right and wrong, all that matters, it's what's right and wrong to God. That's what's right, and that's what's wrong. Job embraced that God was the only one who could determine what was right and what was wrong. There wasn't right for the world or right for my family, that I would change my mind depending on the circle or the circumstance I was in. There wasn't right and wrong for his life and then it, until it meant taking a stand with my friends, then I could change what was right and wrong. There wasn't right and wrong for my life until it meant taking a stand for my children. He had one moral code, one moral center. He didn't believe it until something or someone walked another way. I've dealt with this with a number of Christians, and I understand that it can be From the perspective of those of us who want to really follow the word of God, it can be heartbreaking. But I've dealt with a number of Christian parents who have then come to me and tried to find some counsel and trying to find some direction when they've had a a, a child of theirs quote-unquote come out and have embraced an orientation as far as sexual orientation that doesn't follow the word of God. Now my point in making this point isn't to talk about that. My views on that are quite clear and quite obvious. What I've noticed, though, in many parents is that they will take a stand that's firm on the word of God until it means dealing with something really close to home. Then all of a sudden, well, I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to be there to support them. So I'm going to change the way in which I see the word of God. I'm sorry. I completely support the need to remain caring and loving, and involved in the lives of those who are close to us. But the truths they embrace, unless they line up with the word of God, are not truths I'm going to embrace as well. When they go against the word of God, I'm not going to change because the word of God doesn't change because the person who's embracing something is close to me. Now some will say, well, I've got to walk in real life. There's no greater reality than the word of God. No greater truth than the word of God. Now I understand these situations are difficult. They can often be complicated and they can be heart wrenching. But the answer is not to abandon the word of God because all of a sudden someone close to me has abandoned the word of God. Job was clear. He had a moral center. And there was nothing, no one that was going to get him off of that center. I love my family. I love my friends. I love a lot of people. But when it comes to the choices that people make, if you begin to go in a different direction, this may sound cruel, but I don't love anybody that much, that I'm going to abandon the word of God, that I'm going to abandon what his word clearly says. Job had a center, and that meant he was upright. The third example, it says, Job shunned evil. I will, we need to stand against what God stands against. Now, that is usually the easier part for most Christians. The more challenging part is shunning evil without shunning evildoers. That's where the challenge comes in. The Hebrew word there for shun literally means turn away from, consider not part of one's path. I had a laugh this past week um, at work, and an invitation was sent for a meeting that they wanted to try to gather people together as they've been trying to navigate this um, hybrid type of situation of working from home and working in the office. So just before the 4th of July holiday weekend that's coming up in a few weeks, They want to gather together and have everybody who can from the IT department uh, go out to one of the local pubs and just have a good time together. And so they (laughs) mentioned that, the invitation was sent, and the manager, above my manager, who made the invitation to gather all of his teams together, after he sent it, within five minutes, I happened to be in the office, came to me and, 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 and says to me, and of course, if you want to have root beer, that will be okay. And I just had a smile, and I said, thank you. Because I've apparently made it clear what I won't do and what I will do. That I want to be with people. I want to be an influence in them. I want to be able to shine for the Lord. But I'm not going to do it in a way that goes against what God has said clearly to me. Turn away. It's not part of my path. What Job shunned was not just about words. His actions followed. He turned away from that which was evil. And he didn't just turn away from, and we need to not just turn away from that which is evil. We need to turn away from that which leads to evil. This word also means he found evil distasteful. We need to be mindful of what we become comfortable with. God's people need to get better at connecting the dots. And so often God's people are not. We just don't need to avoid evil. We need to avoid what is dangerous. What can lead to evil. We need to be honest with ourselves. What are my downfalls? What are my tendencies? What can lure me into a path, because that first step may have nothing wrong with it, but if it leads you and me into a place where we're going to then take the second step and the third step and eventually be in a clear place that violates the word of God, the first step should never have been taken. And that's shunning evil. I don't want to do evil before the Lord, but I also don't want to do anything that looks like evil before the Lord and we need to be mindful of that honestly especially men in this culture of what a godly man is and what a godly man is not and that goes for women as well being a godly man is not about being some rough and tough brute that whenever they see a closed door the answer to opening it is getting a hatchet and breaking it down that's not being a man it's not about a certain physical build you don't have to have certain characteristics or be good at certain things. But now you've realized almost three years here at this church that every tool in my home belongs to my wife. <laughs> and let me make it clear, I'm okay with that. In fact, it was a number of Christmases ago that I walked into an Ace Hardware store at Christmas time to purchase a table saw and I get to the checkout and the person was really impressed with the purchase and he asked who's this for your dad I went no your brother no who's it for my wife (laughs) he started to laugh I was not laughing (laughs) when he saw I wasn't laughing his next words were cash or charge Now, it's not that I don't touch any of the tools in my home. Sometimes I do, especially when I'm handing them to her. (laughs) I understand my strengths. I understand my abilities, and I'm okay with that. Being a certain way is not what being a man is. Being a man of God is someone whose heart is close to Jesus, who pursues him and wants the best according to his word. Being a man before God is about caring and loving, like God does. Being a man before God is about having a moral center. Being a man before God is about leading one's family and one's friends into godly things. And now that I've made it clear what you can get my wife for each holiday, <laughs> the last example that we can find from Job is the one that probably given that it's Father's Day may have the most meaning today. Job covered his family in godly ways. Verses two through four of the passage we read talk about the wealth Job had and his children and his servants. It also mentions that his children were close. They gathered together on a regular basis to party. Sounds like a fun family. They would take turns hosting a family feast and get together. Then all of a sudden, verse 5 highlights Job's reaction or Job's involvement in this. My first comment is if they're all getting together to have these parties, where's Job? How do you not invite Dad to the party? But that's an assumption so I'll move past it. But verse 5 says, he offered burnt offerings to the Lord for them. Now, burnt offerings, according to the book of Leviticus, were designed to bring one closer to God, especially in the midst of a transgression, and then they were used for the entire nation. The Hebrew word literally means for burnt offerings. That phrase is to draw closer to or to approach Job a uh, uh, joke job. Job was not making a statement that his kids did anything wrong. He was making a statement that he wasn't taking any chances. He was going to be able to come before God on their behalf in the event that something might have happened or something might have influenced them that might have taken them in a bad direction. And in our day, we need to be praying for our children because there are many things that can take them in a bad direction. Now, when Job had this thought that his children might have been or could have been straying from the Lord, notice what he did. He did not talk to them. He talked to God. Oh, that we could learn that lesson. The next time, if I can be quick-witted and remember, that someone comes up to me and says, I want to talk to you about something that I think is wrong in your life. First of all, let me make that clear. That's a bad way to begin a conversation. But if you're so inclined to do that, understand my first question is going to be, if before you talk to me about something wrong, have you talked to God? Because the first place you and I should be taking something we're concerned about in anyone else's life is to the person who created them. And that's not them themselves. He went to the one who could get to them better than anybody else, and that included himself. We get into trouble talking to people about things that we should be talking to God about. If if these did evil in God's sight, I want to speak with God on their behalf. That was his mindset. If they cursed God in their hearts, I want to speak to God on their behalf. Job, first of all, understood that his kids were human. Anyone else here got human children? Every parent should be raising your hand. <laughs> but not just children. Children this is a good idea for anybody in our lives anyone got humans in their lives I'm personally not big on correcting people it's just not in my nature or personality so that makes it easy for me to try to make that concept holy because it's not something I'm I'm likely to do again unless either God tells me to or you make the terrible mistake of asking me, what do I think? (laughs) Then I'm going to tell you what I think. And it's not just that I'm one who's likely to avoid confrontation, but the reality is, I'd rather talk to God about you. I'd rather go to the Lord about you. I'd rather have a conversation with him about you because he has ways of getting through to you that I can't even imagine. Now, if God tells me to say something, I will. But I think it's better to leave that decision in God's hands, not to my emotions. But, Pastor, you don't understand. What they were doing just so bothered me, I couldn't help myself. Let's make something clear first. The day you became a Christian, the word of God became your standard. The word of God became your empowering influence. And the Bible is clear. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So you and I, the day we became a Christian, lose the right to say, I couldn't help myself. Because in Jesus, you can do all things. Job was willing to pray for his family. He was willing to go to the throne for his family. He was willing to put himself out and cover them, even though he wasn't sure there was anything wrong going on. Job was willing to combine his faith and his family as a matter of practice. I remember all the years that our um, umpired baseball and refereed football. There's a lot of activity in both of those areas on Long Island, especially in Suffolk County. And I remember every single baseball season, the umpire who would, the uh, head umpire who would do the scheduling, and the dispatcher, would ask me almost every year, so Hiram, is this the year I can schedule you for games on Sunday morning? And I would tell him every year, sir, that year will not come. I am busy on Sunday mornings. I have a priority on Sunday mornings. And it became even more of a challenge when it was football season. Because for the majority of games, when... In, especially in many youth leagues, when is football played? On Sundays. They even tried one year, and I had to laugh when it happened, and I just dismissed it because it was so dumb. But they would say, do you realize how much money you could make if you would do football games on Sunday morning? And I, I just wanted to say, but I didn't because they wouldn't understand. Do you realize that's not what motivates me? I want to be in God's house on Sunday morning I want to be with God's people on Sunday morning I want to be with him Now, everyone's got to make their own choice I'm using an example that this is part of what motivates me but I'm not going to talk to I'm not going to criticize anybody else I'd rather talk to God about that Job was willing to pray for his family and pray for his friends. And we can learn so much from Job. First of all, he followed God and he liked it. I wish more Christians would smile. When they say, I'm a Christian. I have the joy of the Lord. Prove it. Smile. Let some joy come out. Don't keep it all to yourself. Job followed God and he liked it. There was a delight in him. He found the Lord's ways delightful, not a burden. He loved his family, evidenced by his desire to cover them in prayer. This kind of man not only makes an impression in our culture today as well as In Job's day but notice by looking at Job chapter 1 verse 8 it got somebody else's attention Job chapter 1 verse 8 then the Lord said to Satan have you considered my servant Job and there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man one who fears God and shuns evil now it wouldn't surprise any of us to learn that Job caught the attention of his friends that Job's life caught the attention of his family, that Job's life caught the attention of any people he did business with. But it also shouldn't surprise us in the life that he led that he caught the attention of God. It all started because Job wanted to catch that attention. Now, I have to be balanced because I want to be honest. Given how the rest of the book of Job unfolds, I'm not sure I want to catch God's attention this way. I really don't want God bragging on me to the devil. I understand that could be considered a high privilege. But then when the devil says, well, let me touch him, and we'll see if he still follows you, the Lord might say for me like he did for Job, okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm cool. I'm I'm good. So many things that we do are to make an impression in the lives of others, and that's a biblical thing. So many things that we do are to provide a godly witness so that others will see and go to Jesus, and that's biblical. But the bottom line is then so many things that we do are trying to catch other people's attention, and that's fine. But first and foremost, let's try and catch God's attention, and that you can do all by yourself privately in a prayer closet it started because he wanted to catch God's attention now the reality is the sad reality is no matter what you do and where you do it you do catch God's attention because God sees everything and since the Bible is clear that he's, the devil roams like a lion seeking whom he may devour anything we do catches his attention too The question is, what's the motivation? I want to catch God's attention by delighting in his law. I want to catch his attention for turning away from evil. I want to catch his attention for demonstrating that my family and my friends are very important to me. And how do I demonstrate that they're important to me? I talk to God about them. How can I demonstrate that how much I love each one of you, I talk to God about each one of you. Because that catches God's attention. And that changes things because then God moves. Because don't we believe that God answers prayer? Don't we believe that God is moved by the faithful prayers of his people? So then when you're in that situation next, talk to God when that child of yours just annoys you to no end, talk to God. When that spouse of yours makes you wonder if that decision years ago was a wise one, I'm not talking to anybody here, that's why I put my head down when I said that. Talk to God, because you're talking to the greatest power the world has ever known, and the greatest opportunity for the situation to change. So on this Father's Day, let's be more like Job. I'm going to ask all the men in this room to come forward.